0: being the blood of christ if you're a child of god a christian you've been born again you've been purchased by him by his death on calvary's cross so if you'll open your copy of the scripture to luke chapter 13 for our message this morning luke chapter 13 from there we will uh hear with the word of god um pr- primarily from the lips of our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he communicates uh, to us about a most important topic. Really, let me rephrase it, the supreme topic. You'll see what I mean here in a moment. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22. Did I tell you that? First, Well, I just did. Okay. <laughs> beginning beginning at verse 22. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. I'm taking the subject from these verses. Missing heaven. Perhaps you don't know him. Or have heard of him. He was a liberal theologian. He was unorthodox. In his theology. He a man of yesteryear. His name is Paul Tillich. Tillich suggested that Christianity has powerful symbols. Creation. Fall. Incarnation salvation and heaven which he says lose their connection with modern life when they are taken literally end of quote the Lord Jesus Christ who was literally God incarnate refutes Tillich's assertions the things that Tillich calls symbols are very real things there is really literally a thing called salvation there really is a thing called the fall and heaven is not a symbol but it is a real place sin is real these things are a thing they truly exist there is substance there is reality our Lord's teaching and the verses that I just read make these things clear. And these things are real and they have a, a real impact on people for time and eternity. The reality of man's fall, the fall into sin, is what we mean, and man's need for a Savior is real. And here in our text, we find the Savior. God incarnate traveling to Jerusalem to offer himself as a substitute for fallen people, aka sinners. Verse 22 tells us he was teaching as he went on his way to Jerusalem. He was teaching biblical truth, which is the foundation for salvation jesus the word incarnate the living word was teaching the word of god to all who would hear in the various cities as he's on his way to the cross so people would know the truth that they needed to know for their salvation then there's a question that arose and the question is found in verse 23 lord are there just a few who are being saved now i want you to know that question didn't come out of a vacuum He wasn't just simply theologically curious. There was a reason for the question being asked. For you see, for three years in his public ministry, Jesus had just a few followers. Many had turned away. Many had repudiated. Many had said, "No, I don't want any part of that." And so, when it comes down to the conclusion of the close, of the near conclusion of its ministry, there's there are just a few. In fact, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, in Luke chapter twelve, verse thirty-two, "Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom." little flock not very many but what's fascinating here in our text is this that Jesus did not answer the question directly he did not say oh yes there'll be a few oh yes no there'll be far more than you see right now Jesus didn't even deal with it directly you see what's really important is not how many will be saved but who So what really is most important for anybody is not how many will be saved. Just make sure you're in the number. Just make sure you're going in. Just make sure you're saved. That's the real issue. That's what's critical for any human being. So he offers an invitation. An invitation to salvation. And people are to respond they need to respond for the sake of their soul for there is nothing more important than the human soul for you your soul you who you are you will exist somewhere forever let me specify somebody somewhere where might that be Uh, it's either heaven or hell you're not going to come back there won't be uh, there's no reincarnation you'll either spend it in heaven or hell the soul your soul is the most important thing so in verse 24 the invitation from our Lord Jesus is given people are following him and as they're following him he offers them salvation look what he says in verse 24 a directive to enter the kingdom strive to enter through the narrow door stop at a semicolon he tells sinners to enter I call it a directive to enter the kingdom the word is really a command he is saying to those outside of the kingdom those who are unsaved, those who are lost strive to enter the kingdom and Jesus when he tells them this it indicates that they are responsible for their response they are responsible to respond to the command of Jesus to strive to enter the kingdom That word strive derives from the Greek word agonizomai. Agonizomai is the word from which our English word agonize comes from. What does this word strive mean? It means this. It means to do something with great intensity and effort. It means to fight. It means to struggle and that's in fact how the word is used in other places in the New Testament is either the fight uh, our struggle you say what, what am I fighting for what am I fighting against what am I to engage myself in, in an intense effort what am I to do here's the deal you've got to strive against yourself what let me expand Strive, Jesus has strived to enter the kingdom because you have to struggle against, fight against, do it with intensity and effort against sin and self. Sin and self is not wanting to do what is necessary to enter the kingdom. Let's put it like this, self-denial. Self-denial. Luke 9.23 comes to mind. And often people don't hear uh, this in a gospel invitation. This is what Jesus said. He was saying to them all in 9.23 of Luke, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what he means. Deny yourself. Deny all your sinful ambitions, all your sinful plans, all that's contrary to the will of God. You have to deny your sinful self. Now, it could appear here in our text that um, the directive to strive makes salvation a matter of human effort or um, exertion alone. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that alone yes there is a fight yes there is a struggle yes there is even a conflict with oneself but you don't get into the kingdom by simply conquering yourself by your own effort let me give you a few reasons why it doesn't mean it is by human ex- effort or exertion alone first jesus did not teach that something that contradicts what he said about salvation elsewhere he said simply come believe repent second it was our Lord Jesus who clearly taught listeners that the father must draw a sinner to salvation without the father's initiative in drawing power no sinner can be saved John chapter 6 verse 44 and verse 65 God the father must draw a person he draws sinners 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 are standing down there here and saying, God, see me. No, sinners are here doing their thing. And God in his grace reaches down and draws. Third, salvation is by grace, through faith. It is not yourselves. It is the gift of God. Uh, it's not the result of works. You cannot earn it by your efforts. You cannot earn it by exhortation exerting yourself you cannot earn it by anything you do it's by grace and grace is the key word here for a sinner to strive to deny himself to take up his cross and follow jesus by faith requires the enabling saving grace of god that grace is at work when any, anybody ever comes to Christ, when anybody strives to enter in, when they strive, they're giving effort, they're doing all of that, it's because the grace of God is at work in them. The grace of God. Um, theologians call it irresistible grace. Efficacious grace. Uh, this grace makes... Salvation effective in your life. How how does it work? What an efficacious grace or irresistible grace does, the Holy Spirit makes the sinner willing, and the sinner no longer resists the gospel. And the sinner embraces Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit by grace in the heart. That's how you get saved when the command as it is given by Jesus and others in the New Testament to repent and believe the gospel grace enables the repentance and the faith yet <laughs> yet salvation is not apart from the sinner's will Jesus said those who were his opponents remember in john chapter 5 verse 39 they were he said you search the scriptures for you think in them you have eternal life he says in john chapter 5 verse 40 this and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life sinners are unwilling but yet jesus and you're unwilling to come you will not exercise your will you will not come you say well how does that work Well, it's the human side and the divine side. It's beyond our pay grade. We will never understand how God reconciles these two. I've said a jillion times here, people have been here a long time, they say, oh, he's getting ready to say that again. Um, (laughs) Well, I've got to. You see, let me tell you, we try to bring God down to our level. We think with our finite minds which are corrupted by sin and limited because we're finite human beings we can somehow argue with God as to God how can you do that? That doesn't make sense. How can you reconcile these two apparently irreconcilable positions? God I don't understand so one of them can't be right. Oh yes. Here's the infinite creator of the universe who spoke all of this into existence keeps you breathing and even let your brain work so you can argue against him and you're going to tell him God I don't know how you work. Who are you? you? Who am I? His understanding is infinite. I don't know how he reconciles it. All I know is thank God he does. Amen. Amen. Hmm. The failure to heed the command to strive to enter the narrow door renders the sinner culpable and accountable for their unbelief, their disobedience. And we're going to see this as we progress through this text that jesus makes this point sinners are responsible for their decisions sinners can either receive mercy or experience misery those are the two options notice the narrow door the narrow door here in our text you need to strive to enter through the narrow door. The narrow door is a metaphor, of course, for entry into the sphere of salvation into the realm of the kingdom. The door's with indicates how difficult it is to enter. Remember self-denial. Remember repentance. The, the word narrow is stenos in the Greek. Stenos. And it speaks of restriction. It speaks of constriction. In fact, our word in English, stenography, comes from abbreviated writing. It's what the narrow door is. It's a tight fit. Why, why is it tight? Why is it constricted? Why is it narrow? This is why, because you just can't come with all your baggage of sin. You, you have to chuck that stuff that sin this sin that sin you repent of all of that you have to get rid of all of that you cannot come into the kingdom with all your sin a muslim said this he chose islam over christianity said because islam is more noble because it has a broad path a man can bring all his sins christianity now you can't do that it's narrow you have to leave your sins behind Amazing that Muslim knew more about Christianity than some Christians entering the narrow door presupposes repentance and faith in Jesus and his word we there must back in chapter there were about here in thirteen uh, beginning at verse uh, three notice something in our text. It says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish.' either repent or perish verse 5 I tell you no but unless you repent you will all likewise perish Spurgeon the great preacher who's been dead over 100 years said this you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together no one no one sin may you keep they must all be given up end of quote it's a sad fact, verse in verse 24, uh, that many will ignore and have ignored the Lord's invitation to salvation. But it's not that they don't want it. They just decide they want it at the wrong time. <laughs> Look at the verse. It says, Jesus continues, I tell you for many I, will, I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able to enter they will want to be saved but it will be too late they will miss their opportunity for salvation they will miss the favorable year of the Lord Luke 4 18 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 says behold now is the acceptable time behold now is the day of salvation now is the time well you can't come And we're going to see when it's too late. Notice verse 25 beginning another topic. Desperation for inclusion. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. <laughs> Jesus is the head of the house. And he is going to close the door of salvation. He's going to shut the opportunity for salvation. There is coming a time when that will happen. And when he does, no one on the outside of the kingdom, no one who said no to the invitation of salvation, will be able to come to faith in Christ. The opportunity to be missed is too late. The door is permanently shut. That's why a person needs to come before it's too late too late and you don't know when it's coming. You know, I, perhaps you know about the doomsday clock. Some scientists have this, people have this doomsday clock and midnight, 12 midnight of course is uh, when the hands of the clock hand of the clock strikes it, the big hand, guess what goes on? Happens, that means doomsday. Periodically there will be reports about the doomsday clock and when world conditions geopolitically go on they'll show the, the, hand, the big hand getting closer to 12 or when things seem to be less stressful geopolitically uh, the, the big hand goes back this way see they really don't know when doomsday is coming oh they can think it's getting close or maybe it's not they don't know well I'm going to tell you this I do know this doomsday is coming for those without christ and you don't know there's no clock to tell you how close or how far you are that's the sad reality and the lord jesus christ in one of his parables he says in matthew chapter 25 verse uh, 24 verse 44 this for this reason you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will you have to be ready you should know when he'll come come when you don't think he's coming the door will be shut notice back in our text here they will seek to enter won't be able to in verse 25 they will stand out knocking Repeatedly knocking. Let us in. Come on, Jesus, let us in. Open the door, would you? Because they recognize the gravity of their eternal situation. They understand the door to the kingdom has been shut, and they're stand out knocking and pleading open to us. And let me tell you, this is really going to happen. There will be people at that time just like Jesus saying who will be in that crowd of people saying open to us and the Lord says something to them devastating words the bottom of verse 25 I do not know where you are from That language is reminiscent of um, Matthew chapter 7 verses 22-23 at the last day when the judgment falls and people want Jesus to let them in accept them for salvation and Jesus says to them, I never knew you when Jesus says I never knew you he's not saying I don't know your name I don't know it's not saying I don't know where you were born he knows all of that in fact he knows the hairs on your head the number of them He knows their DNA. He knows everything about them. He knows more about them than they know about themselves. When he says, I never knew you, he's not talking about that kind of knowledge. He's talking about, I never had a relationship with you. You're not mine. You're not one of my disciples. You're not one of my sheep. To understand the 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 19 says this. The firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. You can't fool him. He knows who his sheep are. In fact for us who are Christians, salvation. Entails union with Christ. We are his sheep. And we're in union with him. Jesus taught this in John chapter 15 verse 2 and He says in here he is the vine and we are the branches as he tells us as the sap of the vine flows into the branches the life of Christ flows through us his life flows in us pulsates in us we have his life in us because we're in an union with Jesus Christ that union came at the moment of our salvation and we're inseparably united to him we can never ever 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 be apart from him he his life is in us he is in us and we're in him salvation Christ in you the hope of glory Colossians 127 Christ lives in the believer we belong to him he belongs to us we have the son that's salvation these individuals had no such salvation they refused the invitation when they had the opportunity they realized the magnitude of their foolish decision and now they're calling out in verse 26 they're in desperation they're saying um we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets they're saying we have a relationship with you because after all uh, he, he, we were there eating and drinking with you perhaps the fitting of the 5,000 we heard you teach in the streets you know what uh, t- hearing Jesus teach is not the same as knowing Jesus Lord and Savior you can hear a sermon you can hear Jesus' words but not belong to him they were saying how could you shut the door on us after all when you were present we ate with you Jesus in verse 27 reiterates a portion he said I tell you I do not know where you are from he reiterates what he already said he doesn't know them worse he has this depart from me all you evil doers there cannot be more horrific words ever uttered to any human being than to hear God incarnate say depart from me you evil doers those words will be uh, enunciated by our lord to those who are evildoers those who did not repent those who refused salvation when they had the opportunity said no i don't want it he's going to say depart from me they're evildoers and that's a crucial word, "evil doers," because their practice, their lifestyle indicated that they had not been transformed by the grace of God. Because when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're transformed on the inside. Their life changes. They're no longer a practitioner of evil and rebellion against God. And they begin to grow in greater holiness and likeness to Jesus Christ. These people remain the same. And as judge of all men who Jesus is, he said, depart from me. Where do they go? Notice verse 28. In that place, the place to which they depart, there is this reality. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me just stop there. Jesus uses this phrase elsewhere when he's teaching on the doctrine of hell there is weeping there I'm going to tell you something there was one preacher who said one of the problems with human beings they don't need to hear about their sinful condition and, and hell so they have enough problems that was Robert Shuler he's a false teacher yes they do need to know it because there will be no bigger problem for any human ex- being for his existence than to be sent to a place where there's unending misery. You think you got problems now? You ain't seen problems. And Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. It's a description of eternity. Description of eternity. That, that's the point he's making. In part. Jesus wants them to have an eternal perspective. He wants them to think in terms of eternal realities. And he says for these people in particular. Because he's speaking to Jews. He's saying you'll experience the weeping and gnashing of teeth you'll experience this this emotional pain which is endless and this rage, this physical pain all of that which is endless when you see in verse 28 Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God they will look up and they'll see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the Old Testament prophets in the kingdom of God and they themselves thrown out That's going to cause the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. You see, the Jews thought they were going to get into the kingdom just because they were Jews. It doesn't work like that. I would have a better chance being quarterback for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> and that ain't going to happen. I don't even have dreams like that. they'll be thrown out they don't you don't get in because of that a Puritan pastor once remarked quote outside of Christ God is terrible God is good and because he is unswervingly uncompromisingly good he will not accept any kind of evil end of quote the goodness of God means this he has to punish wickedness He will punish evil. Further, the Jews, hearing Jesus say this, these stunning words in verse 29, the people coming from the four corners of the globe. uh, This is a reference to Gentiles of all things. First they say, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and prophets in the kingdom, I'm I'm excluded. Then they look up and say, Oh my goodness, they're Gentiles. (laughs) Gentiles. In the kingdom, and I'm a Jew, descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I not included. Well, the reason is you have to know the Lord that they knew. And to be justified, declared righteous, you need to be a child of God. And they, along with the, these worthies, of the Old Testament, these Gentiles recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Picture of a banquet a lavish banquet there will be blessedness of fellowship with god and with all the saints understand that's what the kingdom of god heaven's going to be like it's going to be one like a one unending banquet there's going to be joy there love there peace there happiness there all of it unending because there will be no prospect of anything that can disrupt that blessedness that we experience in the kingdom and you'll notice it is the stark contrast to what happens to those who reject Christ and this lavish wonderful banquet this delightful reality will be eternal I'm going to tell you what people think heaven's boring no it is not it's going to be the best time ever in fact I'm going to tell you something I'm not living my best life in heaven we're going to live our best life and guess what it will not ever end I don't care how good you got it now it's going to end one day but then it'll be endless joy endless love a wonderful banquet fellowshipping with God your creator fellowshipping with Jesus Christ the son of God forever forever Uh, being in the kingdom that realm of salvation that's where we're headed if you're a child of God verse 31 30 and behold some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last Uh, that kind of language you say what does that mean I'm going to put it simply to you it means equality for the Jews and Gentiles equality equal footing there is no inequality in the spiritual realm neither now nor in heaven Galatians 3.28 we are all one in Christ Jesus that reality will be fully realized then in heaven well those individuals are going to miss heaven they were warned by the Lord Jesus Christ if they refuse to enter they die in their sins they consign themselves to eternal bleakness misery but if they heard the gospel and believe they will receive the blessing of the kingdom in its consummated form its fullness its reality by the way Christians we must follow our Lord's uh, direction let's give the message of the gospel tell men that they need to deny themselves repent of their sin and trust fully Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior enter into the kingdom while they have the opportunity let them know you don't know when your last breath will be drawn you don't know when you may driving down the street and somebody comes over and hits you and you're in eternity you don't know so we have to tell them we have to let them know the reality their souls are at stake eternity is on the line and tell them don't put it off tell them to come while there is still time and I say that to you here this morning if you're not a Christian don't put it off you don't control your destiny in terms of what will happen to you t- this today or tomorrow or next year. you come now this is your moment now You come to the Lord now while you can trust him while you can don't be like those people who said well it's too late well I'm gonna see if I can get in now <laughs> it's gonna be too late and there's no argumentation you can present that will cause the Lord to say "Oh, you know what I'm going to let you in. No. While that door is wide open. Come on in. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father. We ask that you. Bring men and women to yourself. Move them to enter. Strive to enter. Repent turn away from their evil and believe on Christ help them to come today whether they're young middle aged or old they're still breathing they still have opportunities show them draw them bring them to yourself through faith in Christ we thank you for uh, the clear word That you've given us. May we Christians. Recognize people for. for What they are. People live in eternity somewhere. Either heaven or hell. And share with them. The gospel of Christ. Call them to come to him. Who died and was buried. Raised from the dead. Who lives forevermore. Is willing to save. Repentant sinners. We pray these things now. In his glorious and holy name. Amen.